Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to finish up the book of Ephesians today. We're going to be looking at the last few verses of Ephesians chapter 6, 21 through 24. Next week we'll begin a series in the book of Daniels. We'll be going through the book of Daniel, verse by verse, as we typically do here at Redeemer. So I encourage you to take this week to read through the book of Daniel, to kind of get an understanding of what's going on in the book of Daniel. There's quite a bit going on there. There's some things that are really plain, and there's some things that aren't very plain. And so I'm looking forward to going through that together as God's people. But we have before us today Ephesians chapter 6, 21-24. Before we come to God's word, let's go to him again in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your holy word, we come to it as a people who have been made holy by your work on the cross, by your current work in our lives, even now making us more and more to be like you in this process of sanctification. But we also come to you as a people who aren't altogether holy in our daily lives and how we act and the words that we say and the things that we think. And even as we come to your word, we would attempt to take your word and twist it to our own device, to take it and make it sound as if we are the ones who are right and are perhaps even able to instruct you. So Lord, as we come to your word, show us our place before you. Open your word to show us that we might be changed. Change us. Make us holy. Bring us closer to you, closer to one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I read this last few verses, a lot of times as you're going through the New Testament in particular and you're looking at these letters from the Apostle Paul and from others and you have these kind of closing remarks you may think, well, there's not a whole lot there. And so it made me, it made me really want to focus on this man who's mentioned there in verse 21 by the name of Tychicus. And you may remember the name of Tychicus. Not that it's one, a name that's easy to forget, but he's been mentioned before in God's Word. And he's been given an important message here from the Apostle Paul. And it made me think of times in my own life when I've been entrusted with an important message or an important bit of information, maybe You know, something as mundane as seeing someone's birthday present before they see it or hearing about a surprise party and like having to anticipate that and knowing the truth even though they don't know, you know, or are holding some kind of special information that we get to tell someone that's going to make us proud and happy and going to make them feel the same way and it's kind of a good thing. Or even on the opposite end of that spectrum, maybe holding some information that's hard and And the giving of that information is oftentimes as difficult as the information itself. The Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, were to receive a very important bit of information. This letter. And Tychicus had been given this letter to take to that church. And you can imagine, as the apostle hands hands him this letter, and he must have been overjoyed to deliver this message to the church there. He he knew that its value. He had been trusted with the book of Colossians as well and maybe others. 
and he had been trusted, entrusted to act in Timothy's stead and had traveled to Rome even before the others had. And Tychicus had an important role in the early church as likely one of the unsung heroes of the scriptures that we don't hear a lot about just because of this kind of messenger role that he had. This letter, which we have spent the last six months going through or so, has much to say about who God is, how he saves his people, how those people are to act in community with one another, and how they are to love one another. So I think of the journey of Tychicus and how much he must have treasured these words himself, even as he read them again and again, and he was able and couldn't wait to share them with the many others that he traveled, and finally being able to rejoice with the church there in Ephesus as he shared these words with them. This book had been carefully copied and spread throughout Asia and Europe at the time, and we don't know, of course, where the original letter that Tychicus once held has ended up, but God has made sure to preserve his word for us through the ages and we have and we receive these words today we've read and studied the same words that christians 2000 years ago studied and cherished these words that tell the same story that they did 2000 years ago the same application that we get from it that is what they received from it because god's word doesn't change because god doesn't change He is the same God with the same plan for his covenant people, the same commands for their personal holiness. However, we live in a culture that has changed since then, obviously. That doesn't mean it's better or worse than it is then. It's just different. I don't think that we can look back and say, well, we're much better off or we're much worse off than them. We just know it's different. But even in the different changes of culture, we can use this timeless letter to understand what God would have for us, what he has for our lives as individuals, our lives in this church, and how we ought to do ministry in a lost and fallen world. Paul's closing words to us give us an overview of his final wishes concerning the church there in Ephesus. And so again, we might want to pass this off as just kind of simple niceties, but considering that we are living in a world... And it seems increasingly more so that being a Christian and having and holding to a Christian worldview is becoming more and more difficult. It would be good for us to heed these words and to understand them, that Paul wishes peace, love, and grace there for the people in Ephesus, and he wishes the same for us today. So as we come to this passage, that's how I'm going to break it down. I'm going to look at the peace that comes through the gospel Love with faith, being one in Christ, and then finally the grace of God, which is the forgiveness that we need. So with that, let's look together at the text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 6, 21 and following. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing... Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. 
Amen. You may be seated. So right here at the beginning, just a little bit of background again as we come to God's Word. Verse 21, it says, So that you may know how I am doing, Paul the Apostle, that you may know how he is doing. Paul was likely in a Roman prison when he wrote these words. He had started churches pretty much between Jerusalem and Rome, all points in between. And they, and he was wondering how they were doing. But they, those churches, were probably wondering how Paul was doing as well. Paul started many churches and many of the members of those churches probably had never even seen him before, had only heard of him, maybe even received a letter from him and had read his words and been encouraged. They understood Paul's place in the church, not only as carrying the direct authority as an apostle of the Lord, but also as being a shepherd and a caretaker over his churches. Paul loved the churches like he would have loved his own children. As we read about other places throughout the New Testament that he loved and how those places reciprocated that love to him as well. So customary, it's customary in these kinds of letters to give a closing kind of salutation, but for Paul, this is just another opportunity for him to impart wisdom and instruction, in this case, blessing upon Christ's church. As scholars have looked through this passage throughout the years, they believe that the absence of specific greetings, meaning to specific people there in the church of Ephesus, meant that this letter was probably supposed to have been circulated, which it definitely was circulated. Many of the Ephesians may have, or the Ephesians were definitely the original intended recipient of this letter. The entire church there in Christ's day and in this day were to read it and to take these words as truth, as the very words of God. Even from the first church that came outside of the disciples, as those first patriarchs of the church, we have the book of Ephesians and many others in the New Testament being quoted by those people who were writing. And I think this is a very important idea for us and bears repeating as we come to this to a close in this New Testament book. That the church didn't get together one day and decide which books were God's words and which books weren't God's word. They came together and had a common recognition and understanding that the words that they had been given were the very words of God handed down through faithful men for the church in all time, for their time and in all time. And so we stand not only with Christians in all time around these common words, but we stand with Christians all over the world today in our day with this common gospel message from a common Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to the first point, peace that comes through the true gospel. Look with me again at verse 23. Peace be to the brothers, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord and the Lord. Jesus Christ. So this this peace isn't just simply kind of like this, like I said, a greeting. But he can really say that. How can the believer have peace? Because they know that what God's plan is from the beginning. I actually recently had a student ask me. My students know that I'm a pastor. They know that I'm a believer. And many of the Christian kids will sometimes ask me questions concerning their faith, concerning their own salvation. I had a kid recently ask me. 
They had been struggling through some personal difficulty, and they said, has God always known who was going to be saved? And I, and I knew that this wasn't just a simple theological kind of question, but their real struggle was their own salvation. Has God always known that I was going to be saved? And I quoted from this book that has been passed down from generation to generation, very beginning, words that we studied, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. That's the kind of assurance that that child needed. And it's the kind of assurance that we need in a changing world. Everything around us is changing, but our relationship with Christ never does. The creator of all things had a people for himself from the foundations of the world and that we can name ourselves among those people is something that is beyond us, well beyond us. And if you think about the peace that the world offers, if you contrast that with the peace that the world offers, there is no peace because we cannot point to a single thing in this world and say about that thing that that thing has chosen me from the foundation of the earth and that I should be holy and blameless because of what this thing is giving to me. In fact, everything else in the world is exact opposite of that. It doesn't choose us from the foundation of the world. We have to go out and find it. And upon that choosing of that thing that we're placing so much peace in or hoping for peace in, it's going to continually convince us of its value, even though it has no value. And many times, that thing that we go out and say, this is where I'm finally going to have peace, is working against any efforts that we have or that the Lord has in our lives for to make us holy and blameless. In fact, it's oftentimes doing the opposite. Just take money, for instance. We could pick anything, but money is an easy one because it is at the root of so many other kinds of evil. Society chooses money again and again for that thing. If I could just have this, then I would have peace. And yet it hasn't offered anyone permanent peace and security. Name a person that says, I finally have arrived. And now I can just rest and be done with all of my worries and concerns because I have this paper or I have this number or whatever it is. It sure does promise that, though. Promises that, well, it's going to be that next $10,000 in earnings. It's going to be that next size of house. It's going to be that next degree that's finally going to give us the peace that we need. Or it's going to be this next career bump that finally... I'm going to be able to say, now I can rest. That promise isn't, that promise of security isn't just financial security, but the idea that we've finally found a thing that we can rest. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about. If I can just get this thing then, okay, finally, I'm done. I can settle down. Money is completely unable to do that. It's unstable, in fact. Just just watch the economy now. Houses fall apart all the time. There is no time when we can look at the things of this world and truly say, I can rest. I can have peace. Unless, of course, you have it in Christ, who does not change, 
who has not changed. When we have peace in Christ, we have real peace. It's a peace that passes understanding, that we can sing together as a church. We oftentimes do sing this song, Hallelujah, He has found me. The one my soul so long has craved, that that one that, that, that my soul so long has craved, Jesus satisfies all my longings. And through his blood, I now am saved. Why does God grant sinners like us this kind of permanent peace when we are so desperate to find it from other places? Well, he does it for his own glory. We know that we've been, it's from Ephesians 2, we know that we've been saved by grace through faith. Why would he do it that way? So that no one can boast. So that we can't say, look at the thing that I have found because he has found us. So that he can get the glory. He is the one who brings the dead to life. Whether it's Lazarus coming out of the cave or his only begotten son who was resurrected or even us sinners dead in our trespasses have now been made alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. Peace is God's plan for his people. And in fact, his promised Holy Spirit to us is our continued guarantee for that kind of peace. If you look back at chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, I'll read that. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He is the seal the guarantee of our inheritance, the Spirit's continued work in our lives as, as a lasting assurance for us. Even when we doubt and aren't sure, He gives us the words to say. He continues to testify to our hearts that we are indeed children of God. And in fact, He has even prepared ahead of time for us good works that we should walk in them. So the very fact that I'm able to do the works of the Lord, that you are able to do the works of the Lord is a presence and a proof of the peace that we have in him, that he is even now working on our behalf, that he is working even now to restore the relationships that we have with one another. And as we move forward, we see just that thing, that he wishes not just peace for the church, but love also, and that brings us to the second point, the love with faith, as we are one in Christ. Look again at verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Paul, after he shared that, that opening about how we are indeed saved and reconciled to God, that not only have we been reconciled to God, but we have been reconciled together as one people. Chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, I'll read. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in, in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, then might reconcile us to both God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So this was given to a Gentile church that was struggling to understand their place among the Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians were told, look, we're all one in Christ because we have one Savior, one truth, one baptism, one Spirit, one Christ. And this dividing wall, this thing that had existed, the ordinances and the commandments that made the Jewish people the Jewish people, these things have been broken down. They have all been fulfilled in Christ. Now those who were called the uncircumcised and those who were called the circumcised would now be one in Him. Not by their works, not by something that they have done, but by something that has been done for them both in Christ. And I think this is important for us today as believers, as we stand in the middle of a community that has lots and lots of churches, even one right out our door here. As I talked with a pastor this weekend, who's a pastor of another church here locally, that we agree that we stand on those things that are essentials because it's so important for us to understand the love that we have for one another, that we're not adversaries, that we're not trying to all reach the same goal and kicking and biting and scratching our way to that goal, but that we all walk together. We have too many enemies in the world to spend too much time dividing over non-essential things. It doesn't mean that we can't have distinctions as a church. We do our distinctives. It doesn't mean that we can't have distinctives as a denomination, as the ARP, but that we stand together with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in love. I mean, consider all the relationships that we've looked at so far in this book, right? It wasn't just the, the Jew and the Gentile that were reconciled together, but all the relationships that had been broken down because of the fall have been restored together. Husband and wife were called to act a certain way. Children and parents were called to act a certain way. The slave and the master called to act a certain way. And so we have all of these relationships that were to be restored. And the instructions were always the same. That these relationships are now restored in Christ. That we're no longer going to live as if we are lost. We're no longer going to live as if Jesus is not currently making all things new because He is. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That the wife would be in submission as the church is in submission to Christ. That the children would obey their parents in the Lord because this is right. And the slave and master will be reconciled and love one another. That they would receive the same back from Christ. This is all taught in chapter 5 as he, as the apostle is teaching them, bringing about reconciliation between all the relationships. The message of Ephesians is the message of restoration, of reconciliation. That lost garden of Eden is now being restored. So we've been going through prayer on Wednesday nights. How did he teach his church to pray? 
your kingdom come. And one of the ways that he sees his kingdom come on this earth is by the work of his people, that he chooses to use us. These good works that he has prepared for us beforehand, that we should walk in him, he uses them to see his kingdom come. Love with faith means that we might go out and love this world. And sometimes that means that we love those who do not love us. Paul calls the un, the gospel of Christ, which we offer to the unbeliever, called, Paul calls the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery hidden for all ages in God. We now have that revealed through his word. The revelation of not only how we should act as people of God, but the revelation of how the world can be blessed through us because of what Christ has already done. We don't know those people that, as the, as the book of Ephesians says, have been chosen from the foundations of the earth. And so who then do we offer the gospel to? We offer it to everyone. Hear the name of Jesus Christ. Call upon his name and be saved. That message is for anyone and everyone. But it also shows us, as the people of God, as the children of God, how we should act. And that brings us to the last point, grace, which is the forgiveness that we need. Look at verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace is a word, of course, that we understand this unmerited favor by being given something that we do not deserve. We have this grace that we might live as we ought to live. We need a heaping measure of grace in order to live as God would have us to live. We have been called to live according to this book of Ephesians. We've been called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We've been called to be imitators of Christ. Paul gives a very strong differentiation between the world who walks in the futility of their minds and us as believers who have put off falsehood and put on the new self. We are taught how we act, we are, how we are to act concerning our attitudes, concerning our speech, concerning our marriages, concerning our children, concerning how we work in our professions, all of these things how we are to act, why are we told to do these things so that God might be glorified so that the world would know that there is a God in heaven and that he demands holiness from his people. But also so that when we can't operate under his demand, so that we can't follow his loving commands to us, so that they can see his grace and mercy in our lives as they see His grace and mercy through the people of God. We need grace that we might even repent and come to Him in repentance. Our God stands alone as one who is slow to anger and quick to forgive. And this is demonstrated most, of course, on the cross of Calvary. Grace be with you all, the Apostle says, because He knows that we all need it. We need the grace of God in order to survive, the mercy of God in order to keep getting second chances and third chances and all the chances in between. We measure that against what we know about our salvation. 
and our assurance, and we know that we don't stand condemned for our failures because we have the righteousness of Christ, because Christ alone stood for our sin. He stood condemned so that we might stand with God. This doesn't change the fact that our lives in Christ, that we are to be dying to our old self and putting on the new self daily to see the work that He has done in us, to be able to look at our lives even just five years previous and say, thank you, Lord, because according to the grace of God, I am not like I was. And let me say this to you, as a, if you are here and you're an unbeliever, there's no hope outside of Jesus Christ. The only hope that I have for today, that I have for yesterday, that I've ever had is Christ. And it's the same hope that you have. There's no hope for grace in the slightest measure. And you know that. If you look at the world around you, the, the world never offers grace. It only offers condemnation. Go to the one who can offer you peace and love and grace today. The love of God in Christ is for you today and can be yours if you call upon the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only name under he under heaven by which man and woman can be saved. Call upon his name today and be saved. And I encourage you as believers that this message given to Tychicus from Paul is a message for then and it's a message for today. God's word stands as a testament to the peace, love, and grace that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question for you, believers, Members of this church, what are you going to do with this message? The church there in Ephesus is no longer a church. What of us? Ephesus, we know, fell into apostasy and is a dead church today. There's no one there. They had this same message. They were given this same hope. So what are we going to do with it? Peace, love, and grace of God compel us to a deeper understanding of the nature of God of our own redemption. Let us move toward a greater desire for holiness, even as the world around us wants the exact opposite of that. And to this world, that we would offer Jesus and Jesus alone, not our personal morality, Hopefully I would never stand up and say, be like me, but instead I would stand up and say, call upon the name of Jesus, the only way to the Father. This is the only message that we have. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us be faithful to offer this message alone to a dying world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we close this letter given so long ago we are thankful that you are faithful to preserve your word that your word is living and active that it's piercing even to the soul that it always accomplishes exactly what you intend for it to do so lord now i pray that you would use your word to strengthen your church to grow us in holiness Not for our own glory, but for yours. That you would be glorified. That people would see and know that you are Lord of all. 
that you indeed are the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father, that they would see your church, and that they would call upon her Savior. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. This time, please stand with me as we sing our response to God's word.